Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The Christian faith is an objective faith. And what I mean when I say that is that the Christian faith isn't an entirely subjective, reliant on me and my experience sort of faith. I remember a few years back um, when I was in another call in another church, I received news that one of the adult children of a member of my congregation had been diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor. And um, at the request of his mother, I called him in order to comfort him. And I called him and I spoke to him and I wanted to uh, share comfort in the midst of his sorrow and pain and, and to give an objective gospel to this situation, to tell him that Christ indeed had redeemed him, that Christ indeed had died to re rescue him from his sin, and that Christ has risen so that he might have eternal life. And as I was talking to them, he had no interest in hearing of these objective truths. Except he told me, no, I'm believing today, and I have faith today that God's going to cure my brain tumor. I have faith today that God is going to restore my body to perfect health. I have faith today that God is going to return me to wealth and good relationship with all the people around me. His faith was entirely subjective. It was entirely based on what he wanted God to do for him. But it wasn't based on what God promised to do for him. Within six months, I was consoling his mother and father with the objective faith of Christ as he was called out of this world. Faith isn't based on what I want God to do for me. Faith is based on what God promises to do for me. Faith looks at the truthful realities revealed to us by God, and then believes in them. True faith looks to Christ. It believes in who he is. It believes in what he promises. We look to Jesus in our times of trouble. We look to Jesus when we are in need. We give thanks to God in the name of Jesus when we receive a blessing because it's about who Jesus is. It is what Jesus does. Jesus is our Lord and God. He is our Savior from sin, death, and the devil's power. And so today, we look at our gospel lesson, and we have two examples of a faith in Jesus. We have the ruler of the synagogue who comes to Jesus when his daughter has died, and then we have the woman who has been suffering from a terrible discharge of blood for 12 years. These people don't come with a subjective hope that God will do what they want him to do, what they want him to do, but these people put their faith in who Jesus is. They lay themselves before Jesus, trusting in his mercy and grace, that his right and loving attitude towards them would bless them. And this is their right and proper worship of God. This is what we truly learn from these two miracles, that true faith in Christ lived out, is lived out in the worst circumstances. As our Lutheran confessions say, faith is that worship which receives the benefits that God offers us. God wants to be honored by faith so that we receive from him those things that he promises to give to us. 
See, faith in Christ is the highest and most wonderful worship that we can render to our Lord. And these two miracles are all about faith that trusts in who Jesus is. And this means it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about what Christ does for you, objectively, outside of yourself. This is exactly what the ruler of the synagogue did. He was the teacher in the synagogue. He knew the word of God. He knew the first commandment that says God alone is to be worshipped. And as this man comes and stands before Jesus, he lays himself prostrate before his Lord. He worships him. He comes to Jesus for help in time of need. And that is a confession of faith. This man knew that Jesus alone could reverse the situation with his daughter, who was either near death or dead. He knew that Jesus was the one who had mastery and power over life and death. And so he came to Jesus for help. This man probably was pretty religious in his day-to-day -day life. Being a ruler of the synagogue, he probably would have kept all the practices of a first century Jew. He would have observed the law. He would have prayed the prayers. He would have kept the fast. He would have observed the Sabbaths and the feast days. Yet here we see that this man engages in the truest form of worship. He has faith in Jesus. He comes before his Lord, trusting in his mercy. You see, this man probably did all that the law required of him. But now in his hour of deepest need and distress, where he knows he can do nothing of his own, he knows that Jesus doesn't need his work. Jesus doesn't desire his money or his wealth, or his authority, or his clout. Jesus needs nothing, and Jesus wants nothing from this man. But this man needs Jesus. He needs Jesus to help him. He needs Jesus to give him, and bless him, give him life and bless him with what Jesus alone can give. And so he looks to Jesus to be his helper. His only daughter was either dead or at the point of death, the point is that there was nothing that this man could do for his daughter. He did not have medicine. He did not have a physician. He did not have the power to reverse the illness that she was undergoing. She was beyond those sorts of help. There was nothing that could be done. And so, in this man, in the midst of the worst tragedy of his life, looks to Jesus in faith. And he says, my daughter has just died. Come and lay your hands on her and she will live. See, he looks to Jesus, to Jesus who has the power to change the situation, to Jesus who is the greatest comfort. He looks to Jesus as the font and source of hope and healing. He looks to Jesus as his God, and he has faith that Jesus can raise even the dead. The same can be said of the woman who has come to Jesus with the, with the issue of blood. She has the same faith that Jesus can heal her in her condition, but it is not a faith that flows from her, flows from who Jesus is. Luke and Mark tell us that she had spent all that she owned looking for a cure, but nothing was found to help her, and actually every cure she tried only made it worse. She had no other place to go. And then she hears that Jesus is nearby, and she looks to him alone who can rescue her. She looks to Jesus as the most good and the greatest help, and she worships God rightly. See, right worship of God is to place your total faith in Him. 
It is trusting in his goodness and mercy. It's to ascribe to him the power to redeem and to save. It is believing in what he says and trusting in what he does. And also, most importantly, the right worship of God is to receive his gifts. That's what faith does. It looks to the goodness of God and receives. Faith does not work, but faith believes. Faith trusts. Faith receives the good gifts of Christ. Faith does not question the words and the promises of God, but delights in them with joy. And in all of this, the object is Jesus. Faith, trust in Jesus alone. Right worship of God is centered around Christ. It, it is focused on what he says. It is focused on what he does. It's all about him. And both of these people, both the woman and the ruler of the synagogue, they have that hope. They know and they believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God who has the power and the ability and the desire to help them. And above all, they believe that only Jesus can ultimately help them. You see, their situations were helpless. The woman with the issue of blood had suffered for 12 years. Not only did this fill her with discomfort and physical weakness because of what her body was going through, but she also was severely limited in many other ways. With her condition, she was most likely ceremonially unclean. She could not participate in any of the worship at the temple or around the temple. She couldn't get married, and if she was married, she would not be able to have children. She was limited in, in what, if any, physical contact she could have with any person. And so in her efforts to rid herself of this sickness, she suffered. She went to physicians who could not help, and more likely, the doctors made it worse, as it says in the other text, and there is no help for her outside of Christ. And then we have the same of the ruler, who the other Gospels tell us is Jairus. As his daughter is dead, there's no medical cure for that. There's no fixing death. There's no man-made remedy from coming back from the dead. And so both of these people who come to Jesus come because there is no help for them outside of God and God alone. There was no work to be done. There was no work that could be done that could fix things for them. And that same thing goes for us. Because our ailment is not an ailment of the body. But it is an ailment that affects both the body and the soul. We, like every person who has ever lived, share in a common and broken condition, as the scriptures teach that we are dead in our trespasses. See, there's no man-made cure for that. Every religion outside of the religion of Christ has attempted to solve this one big problem, the problem of sin and death. And yet all come short. Dead people cannot help themselves. Dead people cannot revive themselves. We cannot rescue ourselves from the curse of sin. We cannot discipline ourselves, our bodies, our minds out from sinning. We are completely and utterly helpless, and we are completely consumed by our sin. It would completely undo us if we were left to ourselves. And yet we often try to fool ourselves into believing we can be our own, uh, own saviors. I recently read an article about billionaires who believe that they can actually undo death. 
as they have their quest for immortality. And these billionaires, they, they decide that they're going to develop the best health habits and exercise regimens and medical innovations so that they simply just won't die. How foolish is that? As they throw millions of their billions of dollars at these projects from spa treatments to diets to red light therapy to genetic research, they believe that they can crack the code and become immortal. That they can escape the curse of death. And if all else fails, they believe that they can upload their consciences to computers and live on in that way. They're deluded. They cannot overcome death. They are not Christ. They are not God. And they are missing the reason of why people die. But that really is the essence of man-made religion. It is do this, do that, and you will live a wonderful life. Do this, do that, and you'll reach enlightenment. Do this, do that, and you'll be free from sin and death. Yet no amount of doing can save you from the root of all of these issues. We're sinners. The Bible says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No amount of doing can save a person from their sins. The reason we die in this world is because we're sinners, all of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And more likely than not, a strict self-care regimen will only renew or reveal old weaknesses and create new failures that we have to deal with. You may not drop the diet, and you might be diligent in the exercise plan, but what happens and what becomes of these new religions? What do we do when we convict ourselves to being the ones who are our own personal Lord and Saviors? What happens when our faith becomes completely subjective about me and my desires and my promises to myself? When we become evangelists of our fad diets, our weightlifting programs, our workflow systems, our mindfulness exercises, rather than the God who saves us, we're building on sinking sand. If we convince ourselves that our sin and our human weakness are something to be conquered, we're doomed to failure. Because what does it all amount to? Well, at the end, the corpse just stinks a little bit more, doesn't it? still dead in the trespasses. So we think about it, no amount of self-discipline, money, self-care can get that ultimate job done. We cannot make ourselves into what we must be in order to be saved. We simply aren't enough. All we can do is come to Jesus and say, Lord, have mercy. Believe in who Jesus is. Just like the ruler and the woman when they hear about Jesus, when they hear that Jesus had said things that, like that he's doing a new thing, that he's fulfilling the law of Moses, that whoever believe in him and put their trust in him will be saved, they go running to him. We should also trust in what it says. We should trust in what Jesus does for us. We should trust in what Jesus promises us. Take the sacraments, for example. We, we witnessed one this morning. We believe that God does great things through sacraments. We believe that God did great things this morning with water in the Word. Because in baptism, we're washed in Christ's righteousness and made into children of God. This morning, Tanner and Jaden 
were covered in Jesus. They were covered in his goodness. They were covered in his righteousness. They were covered in his promise. Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. We also will see this later on in the Lord's Supper. As we're fed the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. All we have in this is the word of Jesus. All we have is the promise of Christ. We don't have our own personal experiences to lean on. We simply have what Jesus has said to us. Jesus says, take and eat. This is my body. Drink of it, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. We have what Jesus promises outside of ourselves. And we receive it by faith. It's more than enough, too. The promises of Jesus. To have these things is to have the most powerful and wonderful and faithful worship of God. Because faith looks to Christ alone. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. And what does he do? Well, he saves us. He fulfills all righteousness. He does the thing that we can't do. He lives a life free from sin. True faith looks to Jesus even when all seems helpless. True faith looks to Jesus even when it seems like Jesus cannot help. Because we know who Jesus is and we know what Jesus has done. He is the one who conquers the power of sin and death. He is the one who goes to the cross to die in the place of all sinners. Jesus is the one who sheds his blood, giving his life in exchange for ours before God. Jesus is the one who rises again on the third day so that we might have eternal life in him. Jesus is the one who conquers and reverses the power of sin and death for our good. And Jesus is the one who causes this dead little girl to wake up, and Jesus is the one who will cause us to wake up. Because we have been justified by Christ. We are loved by Christ. Jesus has died for us poor sinners. And in this we have the promise of eternal life. It often seems that our human and sinful condition often gets the best of us. We often find ourselves scrambling to fix ourselves, to recover from the sin or the misstep or the failure. And when we cannot fix ourselves, we despair. But that's what Jesus delivers us from. He delivers us from ourselves. He delivers us from the despair of trusting in me to be my helper. Faith teaches us another lesson. Faith says that even if you are thrown into the greatest and deepest pits of sadness or sickness, poorness or sin, or even death, you can look to Christ as your Savior and you'll be blessed. That is all you need. That all is well in the end because Jesus lives. That has all been made right with you by Christ Jesus. Faith says that Christ alone can save, and that is what Christ alone does. Faith trusts in Christ as the deliverer, because that's who he is. He's the one who saves, because we cannot do it ourselves. We cannot redeem ourselves. We cannot rescue ourselves. We simply have to rest in the promise that says, Jesus has died for me. Jesus looks at the woman who was healed, and he says, Take heart, your faith has saved you. It's not her individual subjective faith. 
She didn't go to Jesus saying, well, if I go through these multiple steps, and if I believe hard enough, then maybe, just maybe, Jesus will save me. No, she says, Jesus is God. Jesus is good. Jesus is my redeemer and my deliverer. And if I go to him, I will experience nothing but comfort and good because he is a good and gracious God. We rest in the promises and the work and the person of Jesus. Jesus looks to the woman who was healed and says, Take heart, your faith has saved you. And faith in Christ did save her. That same goes for Jairus, the ruler, who worshipped at Jesus' feet and had faith in Jesus. His daughter was raised. He undid the curse of death in that moment of time. When Jesus said that the girl was not dead, but just asleep, all those in the house laughed at him. Jairus did not laugh. Why? Because Jesus said she was not dead and she was just asleep, and he believed in Jesus. And though all the wisdom and experience of the world would have said, nope, this is not sleep. This is dead with a capital D. The heart is not beating. The breath of life is not in her. I cannot believe that she's just sleeping. Faith says, I am going to believe in what Christ my Lord has said. Because faith trusts in what Jesus says, even when it runs completely the opposite of our wisdom and experience. We trust in what the Lord promises. And as we do so, Jesus will always prove to be the faithful one. He was faithful to the little girl, and he came into the house, he touched her, and she arose. She was dead, but alive again. And so we remember, and we have faith in the promise that Christ is the one who can deliver from death. And Christ is the one who has promised to deliver us from death. And he does so by relieving us of our sin. He relieves us of the thing that causes death within us. And then he promises on the last day that he will, just like this little girl, wake us from our sleep. And he will wake us from our sleep never to fall into the sleep of death again. He will wake us from our sleep to live eternally under him. As we follow him in holiness, through the forgiveness of sins, as we follow him to our death in our tomb, we certainly know that we will follow him out of the tomb and into everlasting life. As the scriptures say, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And this is the reality of every Christian. We are saved by faith alone. And faith receives Christ. Faith, trust in Christ. And this is called worship. The man and the woman in our text today worshiped in faith, and so do we. We are relieved of even greater evils that the people in our text today experience because we are saved from sin, eternal death, and the devil. We're rescued from hell. As our Lord Jesus goes to the cross, he goes as the one who forgives sinners. And in him all sin is put to death, and we stand forgiven and justified, made holy by our God. Christ goes to the grave and overcomes all of that as well. He conquers death, and in doing so all the schemes of the evil one are thwarted. And so today, we come to worship Christ in faith. 
We worship Jesus as the one and eternal Son of God who was crucified. We worship Jesus trusting in his promises of deliverance and forgiveness. We worship confessing the resurrection of our bodies from eternal death. We worship by faith, knowing and hearing what the Word of God proclaims about Christ, and we receive his gifts. Faith has all the gifts of the kingdom of heaven laid out in front of it, and it simply takes hold of what is already there. And so we worship rightly only when we worship by faith. We worship rightly only when we look to Jesus to forgive our sins and bless us with everlasting life. We worship rightly when we look to Christ and his means of grace as our greatest hope in this life. We worship rightly only when we believe in Christ, despite of ourselves, our circumstances, and our own personal subjective desires. We trust in Christ when he says, I have overcome the world. And we hold to this faith even when it seems like the whole world stands against us. When our reason denies that it can ever be possible, faith tells the world and our reason and our experience and our subjective desires to be quiet and simply believes in Jesus as the God who saves. And so we find our hope and our rest in Christ. Because Jesus has overcome all things in his death and his resurrection, which is given to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, give us true saving faith. And cause from that faith that is given by your Holy Spirit to fill our days with the gifts of Jesus. Namely the word, the remembrance of our baptism, and the forgiveness of sins. The Lord's Supper, and every day that we live before you. So that as we live, we live lives of true worship that receive life from the hands of Jesus. Every day, cause our lives and our days to be filled with true life and salvation. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. We rise.